Story, a narrative Path to Glory podcast for the Age of Sigmar Warhammer system. Joining me today is Will, but what name are you going by today, Will? Today I am Dirtdag Gouge Slasher, <laughs> kicker of stupid doodads. <laughs> oh, I like it. All right. And, and... To make these names, that's, that's glorious. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, Spencer, who are you today? Oh, oh boy, am I? Uh, I am Oh Big Mintos, overconfident <laughs> snitch of the trampled scrap horde. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh Big Mintos? Oh Big. I, I prefer to go by Oh Big. Yeah, Oh Big Mintos. <laughs> All right. All right, uh, Paul. Who are you today? Today I am Nitkit's poison poke, the taunter of those what are called as it's. Is this the time where I have to pause and go? What? <laughs> what was that? The last uh, it is uh, taunter of those what are called it's. It is uh, not a canon name. Uh, yeah. More of just uh, what you call it. Yeah, what's your call it? Yeah. Yeah, he, right. he is, yeah, he is the taunter of everything that is not a grot, which I, I approve of wholeheartedly. What with the grots? Do you think he has like a, some kind of deal with them to, to leave him alone, maybe? Maybe, or he may be a grot himself. So, knowing, um, knowing Paul, that is the most likely answer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So, uh, we have introduced ourselves and we are going to move into the body of this first episode. We are going to talk about Path to Glory. Um, again, Path to Glory is the narrative system for Age of Sigmar 3.0. And we are going to talk about how you yourselves can start on your own narrative journey for Path to Glory. So, Will, what would you say is the first step to Path to Glory? I would say the first step to Path to Glory and like narrative gaming in general is like even before you open the book is to try and find someone who also wants to do Path to Glory with you. Um, I know this is something you'll probably talk about more as soon as I shut up. Uh, but <laughs> like to, to, to do a narrative style game, you need to have someone there with you forging the narrative. So like rule one, Find someone who's in it uh, and wants to, to do some something similar. Cool. Yeah, no, I agree completely. Um, when you create a story, it's a lot more fun to create a story with somebody than to create a story in isolation. And especially uh, when you are gaming narratively, it helps to have somebody else who wants to make those same narrative choices. So you don't end up in a situation where the social contract gets a little bit broken just because somebody else doesn't realize what kind of a game that you're looking for. Yeah. So Spencer, I can hear you even though you're not saying anything saying, excuse me, what is this social contract? Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. I, I, I feel. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the social contract is something that is in the core rule book for Age of Sigmar. And basically what it talks about is that when you are playing games, 
you are really meant to have a conversation with your opponent to try and talk about what kind of a game that you want to play, um, what your goal is with playing the game of Warhammer, and perhaps what you're looking to get out of the game afterwards. So Path to Glory is a system that allows you to kind of synopsize a lot of those things by saying, I want to play a narrative game, um, which is one of the three ways of playing Warhammer. We have open play, which is kind of you just throw all your models on the table. You just have fun. I want to play because I want to play. I'm not looking to find out who's necessarily the best. I'm not looking to find out where my story leads. I just kind of want to get some miniatures on the table and roll some dice. Um, We also have match play. And match play is intended to be a system where you can walk up to anyone else and say, I want to play an Age of Sigmar game for 2,000 points using the matched play battle pack, which is a different word for the rules that we have for match play this year. And the other person will completely understand exactly what you're doing, and you'll have a set of rules that you've built your army to in order to play a match play 2,000 point game. It is really intended to be the easiest setup where you can match against anyone. Even if they are literally speaking a different language, you should be able to get the game if you can communicate that it is a match play 2,000 point game. When you say the 2,000 point game, you mean that's that's how many points you put on the board right? the character represent? It's not Correct. Yeah, okay. That's so, a lot of, of characters. It's a fair amount. Yeah. So uh, that's part of how we play narrative games is that there are different limitations um, for playing a match play game versus a narrative game. So for example, in match play, for 2,000 points, you're allowed to have five characters, and then you're also required to have three battle line units. And then there's a maximum that, of behemoths as well. A battle, the, is that where you break your party up? What's a battle line unit? <laughs> Uh, you're starting so, off real real hot on this we're, we're going into it yep. <laughs> uh, so a battle line unit is a unit that is intended to represent the core of the army that you have chosen so uh, as you might be able to tell listeners Spencer is here to call us out we're just like getting too in the weeds uh, with the terms that we're using um, but so for example if you're going to be playing a cruel boys army which is an orc force the basic orc with spear and shield is your battle line unit, and they're called the cruel uh, the cruel boys. Um, and you must have three units of the spearmen to be your battle line in a match play army, unless you've got special rules that allow you to change the designation. So, um, match play has a certain way of building an army, and when we're playing narrative play. There's a different certain way that we're playing an army that is different from the way that you play match play. So it will no longer use the the, the same expectations of, of structure that you would. Correct. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, it is a system that is intended to change the structure. And I think and, and that way also signify that there's a different expectation for the outcome of the game. Um, so one of the big things is that in the match play battle pack, you have to have three battle line units for 2000 points in narrative play. There is no battle line requirement. So you're not necessarily required to have those backbone units that are supposed to be a visual signifier of the army that you're playing on the table, because your narrative might not be, I want to play 
a big mass battle that represents a typical force. You might say, I want to build an army that has three heroes. I want to go see how well those three heroes can go fight against somebody else's force. And that's a legal way of building your army for narrative play. I wouldn't and put birds on the table. <laughs> so All, all yeah. birds. You totally could is the mm-hmm. best part. Um, and yeah. that's, that's why I was saying like step zero is finding someone who wants to play the same type of game as you do. Uh, and that's like, re- regardless of that play style of those three styles, if you want to play match play, the person you're playing with has to be on the same page. Um, if you want to do open play, the person you're playing with ha- wants to be do open play. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I say like for narrative play, step zero is find someone that's, that's really just true of any game like this, regardless of, uh, uh the game type. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're looking to find somebody who wants to play the game in the same way that you're looking for it. For example, in a match play um, game, you might find somebody who just wants to play a game. They have 2,000 points painted up, and they just want to roll dice on a table. Uh, On the other side, you might have somebody that wants to play test a tournament list to see if they're going to think it's good enough to run five games over the course of a weekend and have a chance of winning that tournament. Now... Those two games are going to be a completely different game, but you have to kind of lay out that expectation when you start playing. So your opponent knows, oh, for example, if you're playtesting a tournament list, you might get smashed to the ground because your list is not great, right? It's not tuned or built to be good in a tournament, or the opponent's list may not be great, and you might smash them to the ground, and that's the intention, the point isn't necessarily to have a great game. The point is to play test a list. Yep. So it's, it's definitely about setting those expectations. And the social contract is just saying, <clears throat> we're going to talk about this and we're going to make sure that we're both on the same page. Um, one of the other things about the social contract is, you know, don't cheat, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> we're, we're expecting that we're going to have fun. And we're not going to try and cheat each other out of a win or, you know, cheat each other out of points uh, as far as the game is concerned. Another one is just to, like to be cordial and to be a good sportsman. Um, we have kind of talked off air about how that's something that we have in the Midwest here a lot. But that's also something that's really in the rules as well is just to be polite. Um, and one of the big things that's I think pretty reasonable to understand for most people is you don't touch somebody else's models unless you've asked permission first. Does that make sense to you, Spencer? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, after seeing the pictures of the things you made, I was like, I wouldn't <laughs> want to touch them. I'd worry. Yeah. So, yeah. I'll, I mean, those rules make sense um, in, in any setting, really. You don't touch the other person's chess pieces. <laughs> Same yeah, thing. I know, right? Yeah. All right. So, um, do you think you have a good idea... Of, of where we're headed now, Spencer, and what, what kind of the point of us playing a narrative game is for Age of Sigmar. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, it, it makes pretty, pretty good sense to me. All right, sounds good. Um, so we're going to kind of break down the, the narrative play section here to also give our listeners who may not have the core book, maybe they only have the General's Handbook, maybe they only have the free core rules, and give you an idea of what the steps are that GW tells us. Uh, it's Games Workshop, the company that makes Warhammer. Um, how to build a narrative list. So 
I think step zero will absolutely correct. You find a person that's willing to play the same kind of game that you're willing to play. Um, so step one uh, in the book is to choose a faction and a realm. So a faction uh, is a group of models that are included together by uh, keywords, um, which is a way that Age of Sigmar organizes their army lists. So I don't know, uh, Spencer, have you ever played um, Magic the Gathering? No, I have not. Uh, though okay. I have many friends who've played it, and I've seen that memes about it enough yeah. to know. <laughs> All right. Have you played Pokemon? Yes. Yes. Okay. So in Pokemon, there are typings. That means that a certain unit is, again, a certain uh, type is better in battle against another type, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like weaknesses and strengths and stuff. And there's like different percentages of, of strength. Exactly. So uh, fire and water, etc. So in Age of Sigmar, those definitions are listed on, the, on a war scroll. So it's basically a card for each unit. And they have what are called keywords listed at the very bottom. And the keyword could say elf, could say dwarden or dwarf, uh, grot, <clears throat> excuse me, grot or goblin. Or it could say the actual name of the army itself. Luminelf Realm Lords is one of the armies. Um, Gloomspite gets. And the way that the game is basically structured is that you're building up these combos where you're trying to make rules from one war scroll affect another war scroll. So when you're playing a game on the battlefield, they will do cool things with each other. Does that make sense? Yeah. Can you can you mix factions like within your character? Like I know I did because we were just goofing around. But mm -hmm. within the official canon, can you can you mix your your team to make it strong against other types? Kind of like what you do in Pokemon, right? You have like one fire type, mm -hmm. so you get a water type or and a grass type, like you blend it is that is that yep, how it that, works there's a little bit of those possibilities they added a faction called the sons of bayamot which are basically the giants and no matter what faction you are you can ally in one mega gargant um it's a it's a quote named character of that mega gargant but every army that an age of sigmar can have one of these models in their army there are also uh, a couple models that are specifically down to what are called grand alliances so there's four um there's order destruction chaos and death um they're more loose terms now in the previous editions they were kind of structured limits uh, but there's a character called gortrek who is a suicidal dwarf with flaming red hair who's been <laughs> trying to die for thousands upon thousands of years and Gortrek can be put into any um, order army. I feel um, like I should stop you there and be like, what? Yeah. But yeah. Honestly, yeah, yeah. keep rolling. <laughs> that sounds about right. I mean, this is this is how cool Gotrek is, right? So there's an audio book. And guess who is the voice of Gotrek? Patrick Stewart. Close. Brian Blessed. Do you know who Brian Blessed is? I, I, I don't. Oh, man. I was just going to say, like, this might be a question. Yeah, all right. Brian? That's super cool, also. Yeah. <laughs> so those are the factions for Age of Sigmar. 
And once we pick a faction, there's also eight what are called realms in Age of Sigmar as well. So realms are these elemental magic-based planes that basically are flat earth, if we're going to go and use that comparison. Wait, so are they, they all are, connected? Are they like stacked? How so are they? they're kind there of like is... stacked-ish. They're not, they are connected, but in weird ways. But Will, go ahead. Yeah, as you say, they they exist in this sort of etheric void. You can't just walk from the edge of one to another. They are perfectly enclosed in their own magical substance, but there are portals or realm gates that connect all of these realms together. And these realm gates can take, at this point, almost any shape or form. Um, I know in the lore, there are a few that are just sitting inside of the mouth of a giant worm. Or there are realm gates that people have built cities around that have been like the foundations of civilizations connecting uh, a realm of fire to a realm of life. And the these realm gates are like kind of crucial to the early story of Age of Sigmar and like connecting the realms. But it, it's interesting that like they are all isolated together and are connected. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I can follow this. Yeah. Yeah. If you walk to the edge of a realm, if you survive the journey, you will fall off the edge. It does not go from one to the other. So is this the game that they play at Flat Earther conferences? That Those things still happen? A cat can push something off the ledge here. It goes through a portal and lands in the, what was that, the world of fi- realm of fire? So except for, there's eight, eight of them? Eight? Correct. Okay. So there are the realm of fire, which is Akshi, the realm of death, which is Shaiish. There is the realm of life, which is Giran. You won't be tested on these, don't worry. Uh, (laughs) The realm of heaven, which is Azir. Um, Then we also have the realm of light, which is Hish. The realm of beasts, which is Gur. Gur. And love it. Love it. The, the realm of shadows, uh, which is Olgu. So did we say the realm of metal? No, I didn't. Shaman. I was Shaman. Yeah, I was gonna say. Sorry, <laughs> the realm of metal is called Shaman. Shaman. Uh, so one of these uh, names is not like the others. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so um, these these realms kind of orbit around each other. The realm of Hish is basically the sun. Uh, the realm of shadow uh, is basically the moon. And so light and night happen uh, as they are um, shining on other realms. So it's kind of the, the basic idea. There's a whole lot more to it. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of the way the realms are. So when you pick your, your Path to Glory starter force, um, you have to pick a realm um, to really bind yourself into that narrative. And I, it really is like narrative focused. There, there aren't like rules or benefits you get. It's not like, oh, I'm from the realm of fire. Therefore, all of my soldiers have flaming swords. Mm-hmm. 
in the game that are better. It could be part of your narrative that like shapes that your 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 people's identity, but it is narrative focused. There are no like gameplay mechanical benefits, which I enjoy. Mm-hmm. So here's actually a, a bit of an aside, but I think it'll help <laughs> to illustrate um, the way the game is structured. So Games Workshop is the company that makes the game. Um, and Games Workshop has said over and over and over again, they are a miniatures company first and a games company second. And to my understanding, how they actually enact that in their business is that they tell the sculptors, we want you to sculpt cool things, right? They might say, oh, hey, I want to have some new orcs. Can you do some new orcs for me, right? But then the sculptors go and discuss with the rules writers and the background writers and say, all right, we have some concept sketches here of what we think would be a cool idea for Age of Sigmar what does this seem like to you? And if they come to an agreement, then the sculptors just go off and sculpt the stuff. Now, when it comes to actually making rules for the models, the rules must reflect the model that was sculpted. So if the model has a sword, then it has to have a sword in the rules. It doesn't represent a close combat weapon. It literally is a sword. And the sculptor will be like, oh, actually, I sculpted this little gem on the back. And this gem represents this idea that we all discussed together in the lore. So when they make a bunch of models for an army, all the sculptors have a common design language that is intended to make them look like they belong together on the tabletop, but also intended to represent a narrative and a lore for the army itself. That should be obvious before you even look at the background and before you look at the rules. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, no questions. I just had no idea that's how that worked. That's I had no idea the little figurines meant so much. Yep. <laughs> right, oh, yeah. That's neat. <laughs> but yeah. it, it is like interesting because like you may not know that, but whenever you, you look at my little miniature shelf, if you picked up that Stormcast, you see that they are heavily armored but they're heavily armored in um clean armor with artistic designs and the thunderbolts and then if you look at some of my heavily armored orcs like yeah they're also heavily armored but it's much more jagged it's much more ferocious there is Mm -hmm. distinct visual cues to key you into like i know nothing about what these things are but i know that this is something that's supposed to be more heroic and this is something that's supposed to be much more feral and beastly. All right. Makes sense? Makes sense. All right. So obviously uh, the miniatures themselves and the narrative they put into the miniatures is one of the big reasons why Will and I chose this game uh, to play and why we we really get involved in the narrative um, because it is literally from the point you put the miniature down on the table to the dice rolls, to the story you make up as the game progresses. So now that we've chosen a faction and chosen a realm, um, you choose a starting size and you choose territories. So this is kind of a cool thing for Path to Glory is that it makes itself into a bit of a map campaign where you're choosing a force. And so the force size will be like 600 points or 1,000 points, um, 1,500, 2,000. Uh, that basically just tells you 
a, a guideline of how long the game is going to take to play. And it gives you a couple of restrictions on how many models you may have in your list just to try and make it somewhat balanced. And then territories. So the first thing you get to do is you get to pick a territory. And that territory gives you special rules and ability when it comes to building your army. And it's also intended to be kind of your headquarters, right? Like, where is your army from? And so, for example, there's a limit on how many monsters or behemoths that you can include in your army. But you could choose for your starting territory to be a territory that allows you to have another monster. So then you can start off with two monsters in your list because you've chosen a territory that allows you to break one of those composition rules. And territories are different than realms. Correct. Yes. Okay. Um, I There's perfect tangent for the point I wanted to harp on, which is also, while there is a mechanical benefit, all the territories are thematically attached to those benefits. So Paul had mentioned like an increase to your monster limit. That territory is the wild lands. So outside of your, your stronghold, you're saying that there is this wild area where these monsters are living. If you wanted to increase the number of wizards in your army, that territory would be an arcane waypoint saying that this is where the magic happens. So is there a- <laughs> <laughs> this is where the magic happens. This is where it happens. Is is there a way to so like you if you know what you want to play as, but you how how do you learn which territory to put them in to best benefit you? There must be at least three territories to pick from. So how do you how do you know which one's going to be the best? Where do you find, like, what do you, how do you do that? That is a great question. Um, later on, we're going to talk about what we did for our specific armies. But what I would say is think about the, what you want to include in your, your narrative force. Since all of them have these mechanical benefits, if you want to create an army that is your, your monster mash, Mm-hmm. then you'll want to bring in the territory that allows you to bring more monsters. Mm-hmm. If you don't know exactly what your army is yet, then looking at it could be could help inspire you to figure out, like, oh, what force am I leaning towards? And if there is nothing that stands out to you, if you really can't make a decision, there are one, two, three, four, um, there are seven of them. Mm-hmm. So there's not a seven-sided die. Normally, I would say roll a die. <laughs> uh, but there, you know, if if you're not sure, taking any one of them isn't going to harm you. It really is. Pick one if it inspires the the story you want to create or the army you want to play as. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think one of the other reasons why you would want to choose your territory is the next step, which is making your order of battle, and. So your order of battle is basically just a list of the units that you're going to use in your games, right? So the first thing you're supposed to start with is your warlord. And so your warlord is supposed to be you on the tabletop or the character that you want to play on the tabletop. Um, And once you have the warlord, the warlord has different abilities or um, rules on his war scroll that gives benefits to other units. So you could take that hint and say, all right, this guy's going to be my warlord, so I can use these models and they'll be better when I fight on the table. Because at the end of the day, it's a war game 
and you want to wage war with your miniatures and making them benefit each other can only help you if you're going to try and win one of those games. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I were going to start with a warlord and say, all right, he gives an ability to this unit. Oh, well, in the rules, it says I can only have one of this unit in my starting army. I'm going to go and try and find the territory that allows me to have two of this unit so I can make it fit the idea I have in my head or I can make the army look like the story I want to tell. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then from once you define your order of battle, Will, um, do you have any other thoughts on that or do you want to move on to the core enhancements? Um. Really just the last thought is the order of battle it like really shapes the army that you're bringing and to go back to like the different styles of play these this is where those different restrictions that you had talked about you had talked mm-hmm. about before take effect while we don't have a limit on you need this many of these battle line core troops in match play you could have six wizards in your army at once and that's Mm -hmm. something that because of the order of battle you're not able to start with so getting that into your thought process from the get-go that you can't just take your match play army and say i'm doing path to glory with them you really do need to start from the ground up Mm -hmm. um, focusing on that narrative yeah and I, i think that's a great point for sure is that you especially because your characters can actually take wounds yeah. and your units can take wounds uh, and you can end up with damage. Um, your order of battle becomes something that's pretty important for you to tell that story because at the end of the day, every unit that you choose becomes a character that you're playing on the battlefield. And it's, it's an interesting mechanic because um, you can let units die and that's completely fine, and there's not necessarily a penalty for it, uh, depending on how you do it. Um, and so that kind of leads into the step four, which is your core enhancements, where you start to like add magic items, um, different cool abilities. You pick a battalion, which is like a grouping of units that have a special ability, um, in order to, again, further define those characters and and play out who it is that you want to run and and how you want that warband to feel. And it, it really does drill down into that, that identity, like you were saying, um, because we could have folks who have the exact same order of battle who really have different forces because those battalions they bring or the core enhancements they bring both create a different narrative story. If I say that, you know, I'm bringing my group together and I'm focusing on a battalion that gives me monster hunting benefits. That's creating a narrative that your force are, is the monster hunters. But it also changes how you play on the tabletop. If you have these folks who do better against monsters, you're going to focus them against the monsters. And that gameplay will then circle back and affect your narrative and reinforce it. And this is where we really start seeing what happens on the table and what happens in your narrative start to bounce off each other. Um, 
more so than I would say even in list building. Absolutely. Um, and then once we've kind of added on those extra little details, we move on to picking your first quest. So your quest. Exactly. Um, I mean, if you were going to play Lumineth Realm Lords, you could have an elf quest. That would be totally fine. Um, but uh, your quest is basically your narrative goal for the next game, for the next couple games. And if you achieve your narrative goal, then you earn a bonus. So uh, it is the next chapter in your story, as it were. Now, are, are narrative, are they, okay, narrative goals are kind of like your arc, and you set them yourself? Are they set by an external game mechanic? So there are, in, in the Coral Rulebook, and each army will get their own specific quests later on, but in the core rulebook, there are eight quests you can choose from. Uh, you do set it yourself. You you set the goal of this is the quest I want to go on, but you don't necessarily come up with all of it wholesale because there are actual specific things you need to do in the game to complete a quest. Ah, okay, okay, that makes sense. All right. So we've we've kind of hit the the first big um, chapter here, which is literally the building of your army and and getting everything onto the table. Does that make sense? Your sense maker checker uh, thinks <laughs> sense. So good so far. All right. Is there any is there any questions or anything that you're like? This seems like a cool thing that I, I thought of because of this uh, the introduction. Anything like that? Um mm-hmm. not yet. I'm gonna be honest, I was okay. I was real I was just listening to the how this works. I'm like, oh that's how that works. <laughs> so I really was learning. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Nope, that's that's exactly what it was intended for. So cool. I just wanted to make sure that you weren't like, oh this is totally confusing and I didn't understand this part because you said this word or et cetera, right? Nah, you're keeping it pretty comprehensive. And even even when I'm stopping and pausing you, it's not because something doesn't make any sense. Um, it is it is to either expand or or just ask. So so far, so good. You're yeah. doing fine. Hope you and Will. Cool, cool. We're doing it. All right. So um, so we've talked about how you set up your game. Um, there's a whole bunch of rules as to how you play your game. Those are the core rules. And that's the the game on the table. So I don't think we're going to get too in the weeds about how you actually play the game. Um, because we're a narrative podcast. Um, but one of the my favorite things about um, Path to Glory is that there is what's called the aftermath sequence. So we had this whole discussion of what you do to get your army on the table. And then you play a game of Warhammer Age of Sigmar. And then the aftermath sequence is what happens after the game is over that determines what's going on with your army. So the the main mechanic um, that they have for kind of like moving stuff forward is earning glory points. And those glory points will allow you to do other things in the aftermath sequence. Um, the, the big narrative moment um, when you're playing a game of Path to Glory and you're doing the aftermath is your injury rolls and your casualties. Um, so 
if your general died on the battlefield, your general can die and be removed from your order of battle, and you don't get to have him R.I.P. anymore. Yep. Which uh, which happened it, to one of Will's characters in one of our games. Uh, but it so. had the potential to not happen. Uh, because of the, the glory system, you have the option mm-hmm. to spend a glory to re-roll an injury roll for one character. So if mm-hmm. you you have your your general and your warlord that you are really attached to for the story and you roll on that injury table and it comes up that they're dead, you don't have to immediately just accept that. You can spend and like written in the rule you can yep. not have that person immediately die. Um if, if you, you roll, roll well enough. enough. If you roll if you roll a two <laughs> you and then you, it happens and you roll a two again, that is fate saying that no. Um <laughs> yep. but you there is mechanics where you're not immediately punished um for doing mm-hmm. poorly on the tabletop. That, that's... Yeah. But statistically uh, I was but... gonna make a dumb joke. It's like that's a roll uh can't stop me because I can't read and it just <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah that, that's that's true that would definitely foil the plans of trying to play the aftermath sequence um so the 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 first mechanic is glory points which is basically how well known your army is becoming um because of their deeds and the second mechanic is renown and so renown is a way for your individual units to become known um, and as they gain more renown, they can actually earn special abilities as well that go above and beyond the normal rules of the game. So that's yeah, pretty that's cool. And glory. But so there's there's renown, there's dying, mm-hmm. um, and there's glory. Those are three separate in-game mechanics. Renown, dying, and glory. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, Absolutely. The way you can think of glory is it's it's a resource for your entire faction that you can spend on multiple things. Mm-hmm. Renown, uh, to put it into role-playing terms, since I know that's what you're more familiar with, is more like an individual's experience. Um, that's a good yeah. way of putting it. Yeah. And to to the point of what you had said, Paul, about like if you get enough renown you they become more powerful that that comes in the form mm-hmm. of these veteran abilities for your your units which mm-hmm. you know we had started by saying that we the game is formed in a certain way with a card that says this unit does these things and mm-hmm. in uh, a standard game that's all that unit does but in Path to Glory, yep. with these veteran abilities, there are additional things they can now do. You're you're taking mm. your your cruel boys, I think was the example we've been using, and they can now do more than just what a normal cruel boy would do. They become a more crucial part of your army on the table, and that's reinforced by the narrative of them being veterans. Mm-hmm. They're leveling up, exactly. as it were. Um, so it's it's definitely a mechanic that rewards you for playing well in Age of Sigmar. 
and penalizes you to a certain extent for playing poorly. So not only can your heroes die, um, but your units can actually take casualties as well. And so what that means is if you have a unit of 10 um, cruel boys and you've taken three casualties, that you only get to place seven cruel boys on the table to play the game with because your unit's been wounded. Yep, and this is sense? different than the match, right? Because the match, you bring your full tape, your full group every time. Exactly. Okay. Yep. And, and, and these consequences happen if you have them killed in battle, basically. And I know we had just... We had just said we weren't going to talk about how the game is played, but there is one crucial difference in the majority of Path to Glory games versus match play, which is mm-hmm. in match play, you play the game until it is done. Mm-hmm. If you if you are getting yep. absolutely demolished in that scenario of someone just wants to play a match play game and another person is play testing their tournament list, if you get absolutely demolished, that's perfectly fine because the next game you bring your full list back. Since that is not the case of Path to Glory, that if you get absolutely demolished, your force will be weaker. There is a mechanic for you to more or less retreat partway through if half of your army has been killed on the battlefield. If my birds got killed, I would literally cry. I I don't know. (laughs) This feels so much sadder. I would get invested. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's yeah, and that's kind of the point is that this allows you to have. I mean, the rules really engage you to have an emotional investment in your character's story. I mean, when your general dies in battle, it's like, oh crap, I gotta worry about whether or not he's going to be alive in the next battle, right? And especially, you know, with Will and I, like, we we've converted up super <laughs> cool characters to be our, our warlords in previous Path to Glory games. And, you know, I don't, you know, my my Harkiran army is a pirate army, and I've got an admiral named Flynn's Generoth. I don't want him to die. He's super cool, and he's got this whole backstory, and they've added some cool rules to his war scroll because of the things that he's done in-game. And he's like, he's my dude. But if you're playing Path to Glory, your dude can just get completely ganked. And you got to pick a new dude because the game isn't over just because your general goes away. And that's part of the story. And to to bring it to, because I know we're talking about how Path to Glory itself is played, but my, my goal in, of this podcast is that as we are forging these stories and telling the stories of these characters we've created, that uh, you all listening to us will be like, oh yeah, I totally... Flens Genroth, he's awesome. He's great. And if Flens does die, that you know that that is felt. That it's not just mm-hmm. the game. That it it really is the story and this character that we've created, who I have viciously yeah. killed in a series of roles. <laughs> exactly. We're gonna have yep. to have a canon uh, moment of silence for every character yeah. at the end oh, of each yeah. podcast. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, and and the game encourages you to name each of your units too. Um, so, but if your warriors do well, then you can gain renown, which is again gives you the ability to gain those favored warriors. 
um, or, and there's favorite warriors as well, which allows you to get those special extra abilities and become more of a feared thing. Um, and then uh, your heroes can actually become better heroes too. They can gain more abilities as they're playing. And then after you've kind of resolved who's lived, who's died, who did well, who did poorly, then you complete the quest. So you go on and you you try and see if you can achieve that narrative goal that you had set for yourself before the game started. Um, and then you can also give up if you want to. If you're like, I don't like this narrative goal anymore. It's too hard. And I'm just not, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do something else. You can absolutely do that as well and pick a different narrative goal to move forward yeah. with. And I was going to say, that's just another ahead. thing I, I really enjoy about this narrative system specifically, because with many narrative systems, you it is more long form. It's not just you play a single game and that's it. You, you're building these things up. And in lots of things, like if you are kind of not vibing with that decision you made weeks ago, there isn't mm-hmm. something built into the system for you to swap things out. Um, and it almost feels like I'm no. cheating these mechanics by sw- switching quests. But Path to Glory has lots of opportunities for you to to swap things out that mm-hmm. it, it's baked in because the idea is to have fun, to not just try and tell a story and play an army because you said you would, but to make it so you mm-hmm. actually enjoy it. And if you're not enjoying it as it is, you you have the freedom to make those adjustments. It, it encourages you and the rules to make those adjustments. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and one of the other mechanics that allows you to help those, those adjustments is to manage your stronghold yeah. is what it's called. So basically, this is your capital city. And as you gain more Gorley points, you can build that capital city up. Um, and it gives you extra abilities to control more territories, to have more units on the table, um, or to do outposts as well. Uh, so there's a couple of different mechanics that allow you to use that map to help define your army and give you better abilities or different choices in the way that you build your lists. Um, and then after every game, you can attempt to go and explore new territories. So to add to your empire, as it were. Um, And then the final thing that you do is what's called managing your order of battle. Um, And so that sounds really dry and dusty, but this is one of the coolest things in the game um, because this is the mechanic a bit that Will is talking about where I'm not really so happy with that decision that I made. You can actually just drop units off of your order of battle and go buy new ones instead. If you're like, I, I bought a bunch of spearmen because I thought it'd be super cool to have a bunch of spearmen in my list. But turns out they don't mesh with anything else in my army and they just end up in the backfield and get slaughtered every game. Well, you can just drop them from your roster and you can add something else instead, right? So if you're if you're tired of playing that character, you can just go get another character as well as long as you have enough glory points. And this is also the stage where those injured units who like your, your cruel boys, if you can only take seven onto the field, this stage is where you can't have them recuperate 
uh, potentially rest up and relax. And this is, an, again, I can, I, I will say this repeatedly, and I love saying it, where the, the rules enforce the narrative and the narrative enforces the rules, where if you have that, that unit of cruel boys fight and you roll a die, it's only like a 50% chance of them recovering. But if they don't fight that round, if you say these folks are actually going to be resting, they're not taking a part of this battle, you have a higher chance for them to to bounce back. It, I just I love it when the mechanics enforce the narrative. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and one of the things that you can do is you can kill off a veteran ability unit, but you can still keep that veteran ability. And perhaps add it to one of your other um, units. That veteran ability was. So the veteran ability is that special rule that you get to add above and beyond the normal rules on the worst ah, when a unit, unit levels up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can literally just like you know, send one of your units into a suicide run, so that they go away, and then you can just give their special ability or magic item to another unit. Um, at when you're playing Path to Glory, so it's it's a it's a very fun system that really rewards you for being tactical and and brutal and also telling your story. So, yeah. All right. Do we have any more questions or any more thoughts about? Yeah, we that? have reached the end of the the core rulebook section on Path to Glory. We play a game now, right? That's right. Right now, we play a game. Well, and I wanted to say, I know we we spent a lot of time talking about the mechanics, and we're going to again. um, But that was mostly to get this baseline understanding down, because this is going to be Mm -hmm. the language that forms the the narratives that we'll create in the all episodes moving forward. Probably not going to be as book focused in in future episodes. Yep. I mean, not probably, for sure. Uh, not going to be as book-focused. Mm. But we just wanted to make sure that you all listening to us, you have that same shared understanding as we do. That's all the rules we yeah. have. Um, that That's it. Mm-hmm. The Yeah, and the other thing is that um, not everybody who plays Warhammer has access mm. to these rules. Yeah, Because these are only in the core rulebook. If you didn't buy the core rulebook, you yeah. don't have them. So... If somebody was interested in Path to Glory but hadn't bought the core rulebook, they'd need a primer on what actually happens and kind of how it works. So so I, I think I understand better now. We'll see how it applies mm-hmm. in whenever we come back. Um, oh, for sure. We're going to see how much yeah. how much of that, that stuck. Well, and that's the best part. Uh, you can don't feel bad about asking a question that we had talked about in this first episode. Oh, it's gonna be like I, it's gonna be an expectation at, at the beginning of this episode. Same episode. What was that? what yeah. was that whole faction's well, we, name again? Yep. Well, but that's that's also the thing is that Will and I are able to play Path to Glory, which is super cool. Most people aren't going to be able to find other people to play Path to yeah. Glory with, right? So even if you have the book and even if you've read the rules, unless you can find somebody else to play the game with you and that person actually wants to play path to glory, 
it doesn't really work out that well. And one of the reasons why I'm super excited to do a podcast about this, even if you have the rules, it doesn't mean that you actually get the experience. And that's what I think is a unique thing that Will and I and you can present because you can be like, all right, you guys are going way too hardcore in this because that's why we love it. And that's why we're enjoying it. And literally stopping me like this doesn't make sense and it's okay and exactly perfect because we can just go on for hours as we do when Will comes <laughs> over. Like, he doesn't leave my house till midnight, even though we're supposed to be done at like yeah. 10.30. How, how, many, so, how yeah. many hours does it take to play a two-hour game? The answer may surprise you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's time for us to hit the road, but Sigmar Willing will be back soon. Like, subscribe, share, or leave a review. Join us in the Discord at www.themortalrealms.com slash Discord. Drop a tip on our Patreon. Anything you can do will spread the word of Sigmar farther than we can on our own. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter. Uh, we are at The Mortal Realms. Or Will, where can they find you? I am at Severilon, S-E-V-V-I-R-E-L-O-N. Now, Spencer, do you even know what Twitter is? Or on, on Twitter? <laughs> You know, I I exist on the Twitter. I think my last <laughs> post was 2012. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. birds tweet. So yeah, I love birds. You know, my, my birds make noises. Uh, but you're gonna be on the oh, Discord, yeah, right? Oh yeah, I'll be there. That's I prefer Discord. It is it's much more casual and you know feels feels kinder than Twitter at most times. Sounds good. And uh, I am PJ Shard on the Twitters, uh, or you can find me at PJ Shard on Discord as well. Uh, so uh, you can find all of our Mortal Realms shows and content at themortalrealms.com. And we hope to see you along the path to story. <laughs>